Welcome to the Keeney Interviews. Through this series, you will meet leading practitioners from the water sector and hear their stories. Together, we will address water challenges and discuss how best to face them. Keeney is the Malaysian word for current, and this initiative promotes the flow of ideas within the water sector. Hello and welcome to the third Kinney interview in the Kinney interview series. Today's interview is with Tari Bowling. Tari is an integrated water management practitioner and a PhD student with 15 years experience encompassing the fields of wash and nutrition, community-led total sanitation, participatory community development, environmental management, and water resource management, all with a focus on project integration. Tari has over seven years experience working in Laos in remote areas, working with development organizations and private industry on project proposals and development in wash and nutrition. Tari also has nine years experience working at state and local government levels in Australia in the fields of large scale and rural urban catchment management and everything that that entails. She is currently undertaking a doctor of philosophy at the University of Queensland and her work measures impacts of integrated wash and nutrition projects in the Asia Pacific region in light of the Sustainable Development Goal 6, which is about water and sanitation, which we speak about extensively during our interview. Her focal areas are on social behavior change communication and institutional change in order to achieve long-term health outcomes through integrated wash and nutrition programs. In this interview, we discuss the Sustainable Development Goals, which she refers to throughout the interview as SDGs, and their implementation. We discuss also her experience working in Laos and the challenges and opportunities that she's experienced over the course of those seven years, and we discuss opportunities for making progress to achieve the Sustainable Development Goal 6, SDG 6. I hope that you will enjoy this interview, and notes and resources are available on her interview view page at kinney.org.au. Uh, we look forward to your engagement and your feedback on this interview. Thank you and enjoy. Great. Well, thank you, Tari, so much for joining me this morning, my time, this evening, your time to talk about um, your work in Laos. And in particular, let's kind of start with the SDG conference. You're in Sydney right now and just wrapping up the SDG conference. Can you tell me a little bit about what it was about, how it was like? Yeah, definitely. So, uh, yeah, in Sydney at the SDG Australia conference, um, it was a two-day conference, so Tuesday, Wednesday, and each session was segmented into each of the 17 SDGs. Uh, it was quite inter interesting. It definitely had the Australian context focus. So what do the SDGs mean for Australia? How is the Australian government as well as private corporations and community groups going to approach the SDGs? From our end, there was an element of uh, Australian foreign aid and the SDGs as well. So it was actually quite interesting. We had a lot of people from all different organisations, private companies, universities um, and the community who were there and presenting. So it was a, a great, a great conference actually, and of course my interest was particularly the SDG six, which is clean water and sanitation. 
Did you notice any sort of emerging themes coming out of the conference that are different from SDG converse, conferences and conversations we've been having over the past couple of years? Sure. I think the focus now is definitely on integration of the individual goals, um, integration of indicators as well, um, and trying to get instead of just choosing uh, the goals that you can tackle or the goals that are of interest to you, looking at if you're focusing in several areas, what other areas does that impact on and who can you collaborate with to value add to the work that you are doing, whether that be the government or a private company or an NGO or the community. So that was, that was quite promising. The, the fact that everyone really did seem to be on board with the idea that for us to move forward, both Australia and globally, we do need to have it as an integrated approach um, and stop looking at things in silos. Do you, have, do you see any examples of what that integrated approach looks like based on the conversations that were happening at the conference? Because it's, it's difficult. You, you say integration, but when you're trying to achieve mm. these really challenging and, and global goals, what does that integration actually end up looking like? Do you have, is there any examples that came out of the conference that you could tell me about? Sure. Uh, a couple of examples, one of them being the golden triangle, I guess, which is uh, government, private and community working together and looking at what are shared goals. So uh, a couple private companies were there. One of them was Coca-Cola and they were presenting on what they're doing around clean water. Um, a particular interest of a lot of people was not so much what they were doing about clean water, but how they, how Coca-Cola uses its marketing to get their product into very remote communities and to get people to want their product. And that comes back to behaviour change communication around clean water, sanitation, hygiene. So being able to use organisations or companies that have that um, marketing ability and capacity and have been doing this for a very, very long time and getting products into very remote areas and getting people to want their products and to want to use their products is something that NGOs uh, can work with and then bringing government into that as well um, in the, the sort of policy and legislation structure and the supporting framework that goes with that. So another example, and this is an area that I work in, is integrating wash with mother and child nutrition, uh, with water supply um, and agriculture and climate change. So when you, when you look at all of those sectors, you might see some linkages, but you don't generally see the whole. How are all of those things linked? How is agriculture and, and sanitation linked? Um, but when... And, and each of those can be addressed through different goals. So uh, SDG 1, which is no poverty, SDG 2, which is zero hunger, 
SDG 6, which is clean water and sanitation. Um, and then you've got uh, land care, quality education, all these sorts of things. SDG 3, which is good health and well-being. They're all separate goals, but you can address them through one integrated program. Um, there is a program that's that I'm working on at the moment, which is looking at agriculture and climate change. Climate change impacts on agriculture because you're looking at when is the wet season coming? Um, do you have enough rainfall? When do you need to harvest? If you have rainfall... Uh, heavy rainfall over several days that is not anticipated. You can have issues such as your rice falls over and it self-seeds, which means you've lost a whole rice crop. That impacts on nutrition. It impacts on income generation. That then impacts on people's ability to provide quality education for their children. It impacts on health. Obviously, if you're hungry, you have health issues. Uh, that also links with water and sanitation. When health becomes nutrition is an issue and labour is an issue and so on and so forth. So all of these things are very much interconnected and multiple goals can be addressed through one project, but you do really need to look at it in an integrated way and often bring in partner organisations. So one organisation may not be able to deliver a project that is that integrated because, of course, the more integrated you get, the bigger the project becomes. So you do need partner support, whether that be in the form of government or other NGOs or local community groups. Um, so, yeah, a lot of that was coming out of the SDG conference. A lot of people are moving forward in, in that direction. So that's very positive. It's, it's interesting because it seems like, um, from what you're saying, you, you really can't look at any of this in isolation at all. It's just, it's very short-sighted if you do. And Absolutely. now there's a conversation yeah. that's happening that's really focusing on integrating all the components and building partnerships around different projects that have an integrated approach. Yes. But the way that you've described it, it almost makes <laughs> me think, like, why, why has it taken this long for us to... <laughs> yeah. get to this point. I mean, we had the Millennial Development Goals that have been going on for mm. you know, quite some time now and Sustainable Development Goals. And it seems like that conversation, from what you're saying, is really changing. But that change seems almost intuitive if we're really going to address these goals anyway. No, absolutely. And, you know, I think um, uh, a, a, a message that was repeated through through the SDGs, and this is something that has come out of the MDGs as well, is that these are very aspirational targets. And a lot of people will look at them and say, well, hang on, we didn't we didn't reach a lot of the MDGs or a lot of countries didn't reach a number of the MDGs. Now we've set these SDGs, there's more, there are more goals. Um, we've got a high, we've set a higher bar. How are we supposed to uh, is this realistic? Are we are we just aiming for the moon and we're going to miss by a mile and then what happens, you know, in, in 2030? But, you know, a, a point that was coming out of the conference and a lot of discussion was happening around the fact that these are very aspirational goals. Um, and we, we have to 
set them to such a high standard to really motivate governments to try to achieve that. One of the issues with government, of course, here in Australia is that government can change every four years. We've got these goals that are extending far beyond a four-year term. By doing that, it tries to keep governments that do change on track. So it's, um, it, it is a long term and we may, not, we may not achieve these goals, but we really need to have that aspirational target so that we can think creatively about, right, how can we actually achieve it? What are the goals that we can achieve? And can we focus on these goals knowing that those goals will actually impact on others? We may not be focusing on them, but another organisation might be focusing on them. And then can we support each other? Um, so that that was quite interesting that everyone seems to be fully aware that they're very uh, pie-in-the-sky goals, but the idea is that that is supposed to generate um, higher achievement, I guess, and creativity and thinking outside the box and really trying to get different sectors working together. It's, it's interesting that this conference took place in Australia because I think globally we have the perspective that Australia is quite far advanced um, in terms <laughs> of achieving its goals compared with mm. other countries such as Laos. And I'd like to hear from you what you think about why was it held in Australia? What's really going on in Australia? And and where, where does Australia stand in terms of its, I think it has a lot of responsibility maybe even, but do you feel like it has some responsibility for what's happening on a global scale also because of its leadership in a sense? De- definitely. And so the uh, sort of the Asia Pacific had an SDG week. So there was also a concurrent conference that was happening in Bangkok for SDGs. Um, the Australia, the Australian government is a signatory to the SDGs. So I think it was quite important for them to have a conference where they could bring the Australian actors together and look at, okay, we've signed on to this. What, what does it mean? What are each of the SDG goals addressing? How does that sit within the Australian framework? And what are we going to do about it? How are we actually going to achieve these? Now, from a national perspective in Australia, the SDGs are very relevant to Australia. I guess I, prior to this conference actually, because I've spent uh, the majority of the last 10 years working in Laos, I really do, I thought of the MDGs and now the SDGs very much as a developing country, uh, uh, you know, goal, goals to achieve. And I really didn't think of it from a developed country perspective, or from an Australian perspective. And this conference was actually quite interesting in looking at it from that Australian perspective. And it's not all about our foreign aid abroad. Um Things such as uh, affordable and clean energy in climate action, which is uh, SDG 7 and 13. That's very topical in Australia at the moment where we've got um, a government that's in climate change denial where, uh, you know, there are there's 
as a as a nation, we have so much p- potential to look at affordable and clean energy, but are we doing enough to get there? Um, when you're looking at SEG six, clean water and sanitation, yes, definitely, people living in Sydney and Brisbane and and other major areas have clean water and sanitation. We have piped sewage. We have uh, drinking water coming from the tap. But in remote communities, that's not the case. Um, and what are we going to do about that? How are we going to address it? A lot of Australia's aid money, and certainly aid money that goes into wash projects, water and sanitation hygiene projects, that all goes offshore. And one of the uh, one of the things that the Australian government has agreed to do is actually look at what do we need to do in Australia in this in this field of wash because in remote communities that is a very big issue um, then you're looking at uh, SDG 11 which is sustainable cities and communities that's very topical in Australia um, good health and well-being they've they've used this word well-being because it is uh, you know it's 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 the bigger picture really it's mental health it's physical health it's lifestyle it's you know happiness it's the whole package not just uh not starving and not being sick it goes beyond that and then sdg 15 which is life on land again very important to australia with ecosystems uh you've got life underwater um Industry, innovation, and infrastructure (SDG nine). So, it it it, it keeps continuing. Um, SDG sixteen, which I find particularly interesting: peace, justice, and strong institutions. Now that incorporates uh, human rights, and I think that is very topical in Australia and something we really need to focus on ourselves. What are we doing with human rights? Uh, so the SDGs are very relevant to Australia. Um, I, the, the MDGs, I think, did focus more on developing country contexts and goals that were quite specific to them. I think the SDGs have gone beyond that, which is very good, and are very important to developed countries where really we should be on top of this. Australia, I think, is something like 20th on the list of achieving the SDGs, which I think it's Sweden is number one. So, you know, we've got a fair way to go. Um, in in the conference, did you – I have a couple, couple thoughts popping into mind. I'm wondering yeah. about whether or not Victoria, the Victorian government, has spoken to any of the progress that they're making because it seems like um, in Australia, because there's no national – drive to achieve the SDGs mm. there seems to be more of a local effort yeah. and an initiative that's being taken to achieve it within the the local context which is really interesting and I think it's probably the most I mean maybe I don't know what you think but um, maybe one of the most effective ways to make that happen um, because every local context yeah. is going to have its own personalities its own ecosystem its own institutions and and restraints and supplies mm-hmm. and everything so um yeah can you speak about that please yeah definitely. actually this was one of the things that was and i don't i don't actually know um much about the victorian context 
but this was brought up in one of the sessions. Um, and what an example that was used was, I think it was France, that the government has actually established an SDG committee of some description who will, all of the policies and legislations that are put up in parliament go through this committee to see, do they align with the SDG goals that France has signed on to? How do they align? Which ones do they address um, before they essentially get passed? And I think that's something that Australia really needs to look at because uh, certainly I feel not so much on the, on the side of water resource management, which we have done quite well in, but on a number of the other issues, uh, the Australian has really chopped and changed over the last, you know, 15 years. So if we're moving forward and looking at the next 15 years, we really need to make sure that the government, which regardless of who is in power, the policies and the legislations that that government are trying to put in place are going to be in line with the SDGs that Australia has signed on to. And I think we really do need a national body that looks at that at a national level. Um, and it would be great if at the state level they also had um, a department who was looking at what are each of the individual states doing, what are they approving. It's quite interesting. I, I didn't realise that. I'll have to look into that and learn more about it. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it makes sense, though, because if you – if a country does want to – ratify an agreement then they have to figure out well how are they actually going to implement mm -hmm. that and it doesn't always happen that every yes. single person who's a decision maker understands all the ins and outs and to have a committee that supports that was really clever and um and forward thinking yeah, and probably really the only way to make it happen um the other question i have yes, for you I is so. <laughs> i was wondering um you mentioned that there was also an SDG conference that was happening in Bangkok. Why did you decide to go yeah. to the one in Australia instead of going to the one in Bangkok, given the fact that a lot of your professional focus is in the Asia Pacific and in Southeast Asia? My supervisor, uh, because I'm uh, sort of doing my PhD stuff at the moment, my supervisor was going to Bangkok and I wanted to get back to Australia as soon as possible to see my dog. So I decided to pop down to Sydney instead of staying longer in Southeast Asia and going to the one in Bangkok. Well, it also makes sense if you know your colleague is at one and you're at the other that you can exactly yeah figure exactly. out what's going and, on and build that link. Yeah, and we were um, so uh, I also worked through the Global Change Institute, which is at the University of Queensland, and. Um, through the GCI, we were uh, releasing a paper uh, for SDG 6. Um, so it was good that we had people at both conferences so we could release the paper and talk about it. The paper was on community engagement. So it, under SDGs, which is clean water and sanitation, there are a number of, uh, I guess, you know, when, when they expand on what that goal means and hygiene is a part of that but then also community participation 
in clean water and sanitation in achieving that. There has been, there have been a lot of projects in the past and a lot of approaches where it has really been a top-down approach, uh, projects where uh, organisations or governments would go in and provide clean water, so bores, uh, tube wells, improving spring water sources or provide sanitation, toilets, putting toilets in the ground. Um, and pretty much without fail, any any project that has approached it in that way has failed because the community was not engaged. And it's not so much about deciding, okay, we're going to do this project, we have this funding and we're going to do it in these villages and this is how we're going to do it and then you go in and you get the community's participation. Even that is too late in the game. For a project to be really successful, you need to go into a community, look at what is their situation, ask them what they need, work with them to identify their issues and solutions, and then start implementing a project. And this is very important when it comes to water, clean water supply and sanitation. If you put a toilet in the ground, but don't tell anyone why do you need a toilet or how do you use a toilet, then that toilet's not going to be used. It's going to be used for, for rice storage because keeping your rice dry is far more important, especially when it's, in some cultures, it's considered disgusting to shit in the same place all the time. Um, so, you, you know, you it was, the, the paper was really looking at how... At what stage do you do community participation and community engagement and really having, how do you get a project that really drives it from the community's end to make it successful? Uh, and it also looked at um, a couple of situations where community engaged, communities were not engaged. They weren't, it wasn't a participatory approach and what happened to those projects. And then projects where the communities have been engaged and how have they been successful? And it and it, of course it was around water and sanitation. Um, but yeah, so it was it was quite interesting. It was great to be able to to release that paper both in Bangkok and in Sydney at the same time. That is a great segue into your work in Laos. <laughs> Can you talk um, over oh. the past? I think what, what's it been six seven years now. Um. Yeah, yeah, about six years now. Years I now, think. and then bef and prior as well. <laughs> um, can you talk about yes. the work that you're doing in Laos, the different projects that you're working on, and and and, and it'd be sure. really interesting, especially to speak about um, how this approach that you're you're you've just explained has been implemented in the projects that you work in, or if it yeah. has. <laughs> so, yeah, no, definitely. Well, it's it's sort of ongoing, so we'll see how that works out. Um, so yeah, I, uh, obviously, um, about 10 years ago, I, I was in Laos as a, as a volunteer working there for a couple of years and then came back to Australia and I got into the field of WASH through the Masters of Integrated Water Resource Management. And through that, I returned to Laos. I was working for a hydropower company who had 
carried out some resettlement work in Laos as part of a hydropower extension project. My role was integrated into the livelihoods restoration program. So part of the requirement for the company was that livelihoods had to be restored. And there are a number of um, uh, targets that they had to achieve before essentially they could back off and, and communities could continue on by themselves. One of the issues that they had was after about, about, about three years after uh, one of the villages had been resettled, and this was an amalgamated village, their, the health outcomes had not reached the level that they had anticipated. There had been a bit of progress, a bit of improvement, but um, there was new housing. There was clean water piped to each plot, each individual household yard. There were ventilator-improved pit toilets, electricity, uh, and a health centre, which was free um, for, I think, the first three or five years of the project. But after the first three years, health outcomes really hadn't improved that much. So they wanted to really investigate why that had not occurred. And, of course, the one of the things we found was that it was water and sanitation and hygiene. Um, so water which was piped to individual households, when we tested it at the tap, it was clean. Um, it, it was under uh, zero at the most 10, um, uh, what do you call it, thermotolerant coliforms. Um, it was actually, it was clean. Um, I would drink it from the tap. The problem was with that people would then boil it, which is great, but then it would be boiled in a very large container, a large sort of cast iron pot, which was too heavy to then uh, empty into uh, a sealed container. In Laos, eating and drinking is very communal. So there would be a communal cup, which would be dunked into the water and used for drinking. That required that meant that hands were going into the water when people dunked their cups and for half of the day this water is is warm so it's a great breeding ground for bacteria this is combined in even though they had toilets a lot of people were not using the toilets uh even though they had water a lot of people were not using soap when they wash their hands, either after going to the toilet or before getting a cup of water before drinking. So what was happening was that that drinking water was being recontaminated. It was perfectly fine to drink straight from the tap, but then it was being contaminated by people's hands because of poor sanitation and hygiene. So I spent the next three and a half years essentially setting up a wash and nutrition. So we're looking at nutrition as well, mother and child health in, uh, for children under the age of two and five. And a big part of that was actually trying to go back to the beginning and re-engage the community about why do you need to use a toilet? Why, is a to why would you want a toilet? Why would you want to use it? And we did that through a very modified version of community-led total sanitation, or CLTS, which a, a lot of people will be familiar with. 
So that was very modified because CLTS, uh, the approach is based on the fact that communities don't have sanitation. We were working in communities where pretty much everyone had sanitation. Everyone had really good toilets, but they either, many people weren't using them uh, or they were using them for other purposes, such as rice storage or uh, whatever else. So that that was sort of what, what started me off and, and I did that for three and a half years. And that was quite a successful project. Um, and it was great actually working for a hydropower company because uh, unlike working for NGOs, you weren't reliant on short-term projects. You post that three and a half years, I, I moved into, I guess, independent uh, consulting simply because I really wanted to work across multiple projects um, and to have the opportunity to work at projects at different phases. So whether it be right at the beginning, developing projects or doing uh, assessments and right at the end, doing the monitoring and evaluation and then identifying how would that improve another project? How can we move forward with that? Um, I think one of the big issues with a lot of work that is done, and not just within the field of WASH, but in a number of other areas, is that it is a three-year project, five years if you're very lucky, but very rarely do you get the funding to go back three years after a project has been completed and look at, did that project work? If yes, how? What components worked? or why didn't it work, what could be improved, and actually improve an approach. So uh, in WASH, I find a lot of, a lot of approaches um, present themselves as being best practice. But if you try to find out a definition for best practice WASH, please let me know because I've yet to find it out and yet everyone is saying they're doing best practice wash. So I guess that's where I'm at in Laos at the moment is actually looking at what is best practice wash, how do we do that um, and how do we keep improving and how do we, what indicators do we need to set for ourselves? I don't think the SDG indicators are appropriate for most situations um, and we really need to look at how are we actually going to monitor it, how are we going to evaluate it and how are we going to change and adapt projects accordingly from that information. That was very long-winded. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, it's perfect. There's just, there, it's just very, it's very rich, <laughs> all the information you've provided. And <laughs> I think the idea of like questioning best practices, um, recognizing that monitoring evaluation is not just, yes, we talked with XYZ number of people and we implemented this many mm you know, toilets or, you know, we, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, but it's really looking at how does a project learn from its experience so that the next project yeah. is even better and being able to have the funding and also the institutional capacity. And probably what I'm hearing from you is the, the lack of turnover, you know, the, the con continuity in terms of staff to be able to engage with that mm. kind of a question and build upon that expertise and not just 
say, okay, I, I've really done my stint in Laos and now I just need to get out of here and, you know, go sit behind a desk somewhere or something. I don't know what it is, but, yeah, yeah. um, having that, but that you know, and, and that does happen a lot in, in development work. Um, it, it's a very transient community where people will work on a project for three years and then move on to another project, move on to another country. Um, so there's a lot of knowledge that is actually lost about why a project was implemented. And a, a lot of these projects are no notoriously bad at really sharing project failures. Everyone does their lessons learned documents these days. That's, you know, that's quite a, quite a popular thing. However, the lesson learned documents really don't um, pick things apart and and really look at what is working and what's not working. And it's that is very, very important. It, you know, if we're going to achieve these SDGs, if we're going to be serious about it, then we really need to be open about what's working and what's not working, particularly what's not working. Um Otherwise, we're never going to figure out really what are the what are the barriers and how do we address them. And if we can't do that, then we won't achieve the SDGs. Um, and that that would be a real failing, I think, on our part because I, I really believe that we should have gotten a lot further than we have at this point in time. But it's and difficult, that, Tari. Yeah. We all have egos, right? And we don't want to. <laughs> we don't want to say, "Oh, we really messed up here." Oh, shouldn't have done that. And and I think it's also particularly difficult working in different cultures, where yeah. maybe it's not culturally acceptable to show faults. And, and a great example I'm thinking of is, you know, in the United States, we embrace failure, or most most mm -hmm. leadership theory embraces failure, because failure shows that you've gone through a learning process, and you're not going to make that yeah. same mistake again. Whereas in France, if you fail once, you don't want to show your face again. It's just, <laughs> that's not done. So a lot of yeah. people hold themselves back from actually pushing their limits and trying out their mm -hmm. ideas because they don't want to fail. It's just not, it's not acceptable. Yeah. And I would imagine in Laos, there's probably some element of that as well that needs to be addressed, both from the side of the, you know, the hydropower yeah. company, the consultant or the practitioner, him or herself, but also the community. It's, it's like, it creates a difficult Mm. That process of learning creates a difficult context to even move forward in because of the cultural realities. So I was at the SDG conference. There was a presenter, Siamak Samloni, from a youth group who was looking at the SDGs. And he really presented some very strong uh, data on... The, the number the number of youth people under the age of thirty globally um, and I can't remember what the figure was but it was pretty astronomical and from these from the youth in our society often come the most creative the most out of the box uh, the most daring approaches to problems and that is what the SDGs really need if we're going to even come close to achieving them we need creativity we need people who are, aren't going to shy away who are going to take risks 
um, who aren't afraid of failing. And I think that's something that uh, much of the older generation, uh, certainly within government, you, you don't get that many risk takers in government. Um, that's that's what, and yet these are all the people who are making the decisions on how we're going to approach the SDGs and how we're going to implement projects. Um, so I, there really is a need for governments and organisations to be encouraging the youth of the world to have much more of a say and more of a role in decision-making about how we're going to go forward for the next, not just 15 years, but, you know, 50, 100 years. How are we really going to improve globally with the way, with the way things are going? Um, I'm wondering if you can speak a bit more about the context of working in Laos and what it's like on a day-to-day -day basis and um, maybe in some instances where you've found really successful approaches in reaching out to the community um, or working even across your colleagues with the hydropower company. Uh, if you could just speak a bit more about that, that would be great. Sure. Uh, so I guess it's a, it's very much a mixed bag <laughs> in Laos. Um, it's both rewarding and frustrating. I, I think that's true of any workplace. Um, but it's, it, I don't know, it's sort of extremes I found in Laos. And I, I, I love it. I love um, certainly now the colleagues that I'm working with are just absolutely fantastic. One of the biggest, one of the biggest issues is, and this is something that other countries around Laos have really addressed, um, going back 20 years. A lot of countries such as Vietnam and Myanmar and Thailand, um, invested heavily in education and health. And this is going back a couple of decades ago. And that is the, the outputs of that are really showing in those countries. You have people who are working in organisations at community levels who can can make the, the linkages between different sectors, um, are able to do research and uh, sort of build their own capacity independently and that is something that is vital when you're doing community development, when you're trying to raise a country's GDP, when you're trying to improve uh, access to water and sanitation and health and reduce infant mortality in countries. Laos is very much falling behind the rest of Southeast Asia in that. There hasn't been the investment in education and health that is required. It's starting to get there, but it's. Um, I think it's going to be another 20 or 30 years before we really start seeing some very, very significant changes in Laos. Um, certainly, I think the fact that 80%, well, it used to be, it's not so much anymore, but 80% of the community of the population in Laos is rural. 
Rural areas are very difficult to get to. Uh, until recently, uh, you know, people didn't have mobile phones, they didn't have satellite TVs. Um, their, you know, access to healthcare was very difficult. Most communities couldn't access schools. Um, there wasn't that much money in the country. It's a very, it, even though it's around the same size as, as Vietnam, and Vietnam has something like, oh, God, I don't know, um, what, 60 million? I'm not sure, people. Laos has 6.5 or 6.9 million people. So it's, it's a very small population. That makes it very difficult to get education and healthcare out into the rural communities because, you know, you're, you're servicing, you're spending money to service maybe 100 households. And that's, that's, that's not financially viable for most governments. Um, things are getting better. There's a lot of international investment in education and healthcare in Laos. Uh, a lot of sort of at the government level, a lot needs to change. Um, at the moment, it's it is a very frustrating system to work in. It's the the government has recently. Um, stopped NGOs from working with local Lao organisations, uh, so NPAs, not-for-profit associations. And it's those NPAs in Lao that do on-ground work, who do the community development work, the community engagement work. They're the ones with people from a lot of ethnic minority groups who can speak those languages who are essential when you're doing on community engagement. And really for the majority of development work, you need to be working at that community level. Governments such as the Australian government um, have really cut their funding, their foreign aid. That has had a massive impact. Organisations have lost you know, hundreds of staff lost entire programs because funding has uh, has been cut because of changes of government, because of changes of decisions. And this, I think, uh, can actually come back to these SDGs. You know, there really needs to be a long-term goal that that countries such as Australia are committed to that can't just be chopped and changed willy-nilly depending on which government gets in, because it has a big impact, not just in Australia, but abroad. NGOs, via their donors, have an agenda and they might be working, there might be several NGOs who are working within the same sphere, whether it be water resource management, sanitation, health, nutrition, whatever, and they're all developing their own approaches, their own manuals. Government, of course, will be involved, but it will be different branches of government. It will be central government or it will be district in one area and it will be district in this other area. 
there's the government is certainly allowed the government is not taking a central role in saying look we are and the Lao government is a signatory to the SDGs they've said yes we're going to achieve this what they then need to do is look at what are the projects that NGOs are working on and make sure that those projects are actually going to be in line with the government's goals and the approach and what materials are being used and what messages are being used and how are they being monitored and where is that data going to and how are we evaluating it and how is that then going to improve the next project that we implement so that we can really start making progress on those goals that they've set themselves. Um, that's what needs to happen, i.e. the government really holding the reins on what's going on in their own country, how you actually make that happen. <laughs> I have no idea. Like, good luck. But it, it also it kind of speaks to your comment about the Australian government having possibly thinking about the French model of having a committee in place to absolutely and it sounds like what what you're advocating for in a sense is this national policy that all mm. countries who sign on to the sustainable development goals need to consider so that they actually do achieve them um, yeah to support to support yeah, it definitely. because I just yeah it's yeah so it's a it seems like it would be um, definitely moving things a little bit more quickly in the right direction to have that accountability mm. in place. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it would be great. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about before we move on to the cl the closing question? Oh, my goodness. Um, probably nothing I've, I haven't already said, but I, I'm, I am very – very interested to see what what approaches are going to come over the next five years and the next ten years with this much more structured approach to integration of of the SDGs of project goals and outcomes. Um, I I I believe the when we had the MDGs the MDGs looked at outputs, outputs being the, the physical things, so the number of water taps that were installed, the number of boreholes that went in, the number of toilets went in, whether they were being used or not. The SDGs have recognised that and they're really trying to look at, when you're looking at indicators, they're trying to look at the outcomes as opposed to the outputs, the outcomes being um, has there been an improve in health, uh, has there been a reduction in diarrhoea, et cetera. But we really do need to go beyond that and look at the impacts, you know. Okay, has there been a reduction in, in diarrhoea, yes or no, but what is the impact of that? So what is the impact of the interventions that we're doing? And that's a very difficult thing to, to monitor and I, I think that's probably why it has been left out. Certainly within this the sector of wash, hygiene is very diff difficult to monitor the impacts. How do you, how do you say that um, health, this one aspect of health has improved 
because people are washing their hands with soap, it's very hard to make those linkages. Um, but I think also that the wash sector continues to be underfunded in comparison to other health sectors such as malaria, treatment, TB, um, HIV, AIDS, because uh, the the epid I'm going to get this word wrong. The epidemiological statistics of this intervention equals uh, this many this percentage improvement in health, which saves this much much money, is is very, very difficult to measure. And until you can measure that, it's kind of difficult to convince people to fund you. Whereas it's quite easy to say there's been this many malarial cases this year, this is how much the treatment cost, and if you do preventative preventative measures, um, this is how much you're going to save. So it's, it's, it's a very straightforward thing, whereas WASH is not straightforward. Um, mostly because it is such an integrated area. Well, maybe the impetus is to put WASH onto every project's agenda. So there has to be some sort of a little WASH component. I know it makes it more difficult to implement, (laughs) but like if that consideration is constantly there with every other project, well, what, how does this interface with WASH? How can WASH also be incorporated into anything then? Mm. um, But again, it's, it's what you're saying. It's, it's a, it's a difficult problem to tackle because it's not straightforward. I mean, people's personal behaviors in terms of how they get rid of their poop is, you know, (laughs) it's a difficult thing to tackle and there's no one right answer for every single person. Whereas there are treatments for diseases and yeah, there are vaccinations. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's a very direct relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I'm wondering if you have any, words of wisdom or advice for people who are looking to get involved in water work in development work or in work in Laos. Um, you've painted a picture of a, of a country that has a lot of um, progress that it sees in its future. And I think a lot of people, especially you're talking about these people with great ideas that are 30 and mm. under the, the youth who want to be involved in making a difference in the world. They see the destruction that's happening around and they want to jump in and do something good. Um, do you have any advice or any anything that you can share with them to help them find their path to doing what they need to do? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, certainly within Laos and I guess the, the Southeast Asia area in general, there is a lot of work around water, whether it be on the environmental side with water resource management, with catchment care, whether it be hydropower, um, there is a lot of hydropower going to Laos and unfortunately is not being done in a sustainable manner with regards to water resource management, fisheries, um, and certainly with regards to resettlement of communities. Um, and then again, you've got your wash, which, which encompasses so many, uh, so many other areas that, you know, it, it feeds into so many different areas. 
Um, climate change is becoming a big issue in Laos. Uh, climate change is impacting on agricultural development and that's being recognised. So um, I guess okay, if, you, if you're looking at getting involved in working in Laos, um, offering yourself up for internships and, and contacting organisations directly, uh, looking at the international NGO network that's in Laos and you, you can simply Google INGO Network Lao, and that and that will come up. There are a number of organisations who are working within uh, water, the various components. There's the Mekong River Commission, which is situated in Lao, um, and certainly there's a even though a lot of NGOs really focus uh, or are based in Vientiane. However, in Lao, because so much of the the community is rural there is a real need to get people with with skills and experience working in these more remote areas to implement these community projects and again um, I have a strong focus on community engagement and community engagement at the beginning of a project um, I think certainly now and moving forward, it's very important for people to not just be focused on one area, um, but to look at the bigger picture and the other skills that you as a professional might need. You mentioned um, also the yep. climate change impacts are having consequences upon irrigation practices. <laughs> and I think that's that's mm. a really interesting point particularly for this project is to understand um a little bit more and maybe you can describe a little bit more like how how is that transformation taking place what's being done to address climate change impacts um how are communities responding to this yeah what's it's, it's just such a when it comes to the future and predicting the future or managing for future conditions is so difficult and um what's going yeah. on in that space so within the, the climate change space that, that I'm involved with, looking at agriculture, I think it's important to remember when when you're doing awareness raising and sort of dissemination of knowledge and what have you, what is actually necessary? If you start getting into the whole science of it, that's that's not useful for people who just need to know when to plant and when to harvest their rice crops. So you have to look at what information about climate change do they actually need. They and, and often they need to know when is the rain coming, when is the rain not coming, when is it going to be sunny, how long is the rain going to be here for, is it is it just an afternoon shower, is it going to rain for three days. Uh, one of the projects that I'm working with that is looking at it from this particular angle is essentially doing uh, weather reports for communities. So setting up uh, weather stations and linking that to mobile data, so it's SMS. Pretty much anywhere you go in Laos, even the most remote communities, people will have mobile phones. Everyone skipped the telephone line phase uh, and went straight to mobiles. 
you'll find a lot of areas where they actually also have smartphones. So they have access to technology. And being able to link them up with warning systems of, okay, um, next week uh, a rain or a storm front is going to come through. And then people know, right, we can't put off harvesting until next week. We need to do it now. Go out and harvest. So it's climate change is a big, big, massive, complex issue that we're all trying to deal with. But you need to look at what are the important parts of that that people need to know. Often people don't need to know the whole thing. You need to look at what what is that little bit of information, that little sector that people in a community, in a particular area, need to understand what information do they need access to and how can they access that information. A lot of these communities, even though they've only recently accessed technology and internet, um, they're, they're quite, they can be quite savvy, um, especially as in pretty much everywhere else in the world, the children are very savvy about how to work this technology. So that, yeah, I think that's that's the important part when we're talking about climate change is it is a big issue, but looking at what are the particular things within that that people need to know in particular communities um, and, and, and also providing that information to government because government are really really do need to um, be stepping up and, and working with communities and supporting them in a lot of these initiatives if it's going to be sustainable. Great, Tari. Thank you so much for this wonderful conversation. <laughs> I've really enjoyed it. Um, it gives me a lot to think yeah. about, especially uh, with SDGs and, and really implementing it. I think a lot of people, um, especially people in the developed world are asking the question of like, how do we actually take on some responsibility for making SDGs happen? And I think you've proposed some really great ideas. So thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Keeney is an initiative of the Australian Water Partnership and the International Water Centre Alumni Network. Keeney connects water managers and shares knowledge throughout the Asia-Pacific. Visit our website at keeney.org.au for more information and for videos, articles, news and more.